politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our liberties. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here in the house at CR Podcast, Blaze Media, really your only source of information on how to actually fight back. Because in order to find the real solution, you need to slay all of the golden calves. And that's what we do here. Even if it's going to tick off everyone, Obviously, yesterday we did that on the abortion issue and row and strategies. And you have to understand, everyone thinks, oh, I'm being negative. Oh, you know, celebrate the good news. But you guys who believe that are the ones who are being negative. Because if you continue exalting these failed ideas and strategies and focuses that continue to perpetuate this morass that we're in, you are preventing us from actually getting out of it. And I want to start off today and really focus most of the time on elections. There's a lot to talk about in the fallout from the Roe v. Wade business and what I think we should do in state legislatures on that. I have a column out today on that. There's a lot of news, uh, tons of safety signals coming out about increased death from the clot shots. There's a lot of news on that front. But I want to talk about elections. Last night, there were elections in Indiana and Ohio, two states with supermajority trifecta Republican control at a state level. And I'm here to tell you, folks, that thus far in the primary season, not a single lockdown Republican governor has lost his primary, even the worst of the worst. And I hate to say it, but as it stands now, I don't think a single one will. I want you to digest that statement for a moment and understand how irremediably broken the party is, how you're not going to change the party, how the conservative movement and cable news and the talkers, they're focused always on the wrong things, the wrong ideas, a day late, a dollar short, a shiny object here and there. And the reason why I'm saying that is this, and I know I'm going to rankle feathers with this, but I don't care. People are celebrating like, oh, my God, we're changing the party. It's over. We won. I'm talking about the good guys, guys I agree with. God bless them. Because J.D. Vance won the primary for Senate uh, last night. And and, and Trump's endorsement, uh, you know, played a role. And Trump is amazing. And look, I, I, I think J.D., I don't know him that well. He's definitely one of the few candidates this cycle that at least is speaking our language as if he knows what time of, of, of year it is. And, and and hopefully he'll he'll abide by that, and that's great, and I wish him well, and maybe I'll have him on, and I look forward to working with him. And God bless his supporters that, that put him across the line and beat the establishment. That's awesome. More of this, please. This is great. But the problem is people are focusing on one thing in a vacuum and missing the broader point. Mike DeWine, the worst rhino in the entire country who locked down his state and promoted the clot shots more than Gavin Newsom of California, he was re-nominated. And Trump did not get involved in that race and did not endorse. And in Indiana, I mean, they they have the governor's race during the presidential years. 
But two years ago, he got reelected. And he probably would have gotten reelected if he were up tonight, Holcomb. So there's some of the most trending red states, but they have the worst rhinos in charge. I do not see, aside from J.D. Vance, anywhere state level down the ballot where guys that are, wow, really speaking our language have, have won. And in fact, in a lot of races, I see in congressional races in Indiana, um, there's one race, uh, I believe it's Indiana 9, but I might it's in southern Indiana, where a, a huge establishment Republican won. So it's not only the fact that we're not knocking off incumbents. No matter how bad they are, no matter how much they support the left on the most important issues of the time. But there's one thing that I can say, okay, you know what? It's impossible to beat an incumbent, but all of the new open seats were winning. No, often we go backwards and have even worse guys. So it's like, you know, we lose all the governor races, which is what matters. And then you win one Senate seat. So now the population of conservatives will go up from two to three in a body that you need 51 to 60 to control anything in a federal system that's already irremediably broken. And yay. I mean, I wish J.D. would have won, would have uh, run for governor. And again, I'm not criticizing him. I'm not taking anything away from his supporters. But what I am saying is don't use that as a golden calf to say, oh, Daniel, we're winning. Well, why focus on the negative? Focus on the positive. Well, that presupposes that we should lose 100% of the Republican primary races in the red states even after the last two years of cathartic events. And then we win one or two here or there but lose 98% of the rest. It's like, well, Daniel, focus on the good. No. Because then that gives people the impression that we're winning it. Oh, it's incremental, Daniel. No, it's not. I've been working primaries for 15 years. Show me the incremental gains. They're not. With every one you gain, you lose five others. And in the meantime, they kind of destroy our lives and engage in genocide like they did with COVID. In the meantime, we can't wait 100 years. The lack of focus on gubernatorial primaries is insane. You fight so hard every cycle, you'll get one Maybe two good guys in the Senate. It won't go anywhere. You take the reddest states for governor and you get five, seven more DeSantis's, you get the entire state with a trifecta, and then you get, you know, the momentum that that serves nationally, like you see just with the you know one governor, the check and balance on on Biden. Imagine if you have five, seven, and really we should have 20 easily. But I got it wrong. I said DeWine will, you know, at least he'll be defeated. No, Trump didn't get involved and he won. Now, I understand it was, you know, there's no runoff dynamic there. So he actually did get just below 50%. He got 48%, which tells me if you actually would have had a one man pulling about 50-50 with him, it would have become a race, It would have gained momentum, and the guy would have probably won. But, of course, we had to have three alternative candidates, mainly two, and they split the vote down the middle, and DeWine wins. This is where Trump could have gotten involved and could have engaged in shuttle diplomacy and you know could have convinced someone at some point to drop out. That's where his endorsement could have helped. Reminder to his credit, J.D. was already rising before Trump's endorsement. All Trump is doing now is he looks at the polls and he wants a scorecard. All my candidates want. So anyone could do that. That doesn't take anything. 
He takes people that are already like rising or they're mainly already in the lead. Oh, I won a race. That's not what it's about. Very rarely are we going to have a candidate strong enough that's going to already be ahead before your endorsement. In this case, the MAGA movement really, you know, rallied to him before Trump did. And, 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 and you know, my hat's off to them. I don't want to take anything away from that. Kudos to those involved in it. But to me, the bigger news is we lost the governor's race. And it's not, well, you know, one good, one bad. No, because a governor is a force multiplier. That's the entire state. Here, you won one seat in a body with a 95-5 leftist majority. For a federal system, you're never going to change. I'm just telling you we're playing the wrong game. But the entire hype is all in Washington politics. That's where conservative media is, so therefore that's where Trump's focus is, and that's his legacy. So only focus on that, and mainly focus on the candidates that are already ahead. Some are good, like in JD's case, many of them are bad. So coming up, we are going to have the only other gubernatorial candidate that I'm seeing actually speaking our language and actually is ahead and likely will get the nomination, uh, Carrie Lake in Arizona. So you'll let me know what you think of her. It's a pre-taped interview I did because we had, obviously, the whole Supreme Court business. So, uh, you know, I had to cover that yesterday. So you'll let, let me know what you think. At least someone willing to come on the show, speaking our language broadly. We'll see if it connects. But, folks, I mean, we should have this everywhere. What does that tell you? That not a single lockdown Republican governor got, um, got kicked out. Now, you might think, well, Daniel, maybe that means that the majority don't agree with us. But it's not true. I mean, the majority of Republicans don't support that stuff. And you look at DeSantis, you know, they all support him. It's a matter of whatever you put on people's plate, they'll vote for that. But until it's drummed in their brain that it's a big race, I don't know the psychology, but they reflexively vote for the incumbent. Because even in DeWine's case... He is the worst. He's not even like McMaster and the Oklahoma governor and the Dakotas and Idaho and Wyoming where they all lie and pretend to be conservative. He openly pokes his eye in our, his thumb in our eye. So, you know, even if you had one candidate, how the heck does that guy get 48% of the GOP electorate in this time after what he did? But that's going to keep happening because they manipulate but there's another factor behind that that I want to discuss. Today's show is sponsored by Better Spectacles, one of the only conservative American companies that make eyewear. They offer rodent stocks, um, really high-tech biometric intelligence glasses. T- technology is used for so much bad these days to destroy us in healthcare. Here is something that actually helps. They measure 7,000 points in the eye, and they came up with a framework that gives you a seamlessly natural experience that works perfectly with your brain and your vision. So my Rodenstock eyewear keeps me operating at full capacity. My best pair of glasses I've ever had. Um, you see up to 40% better near an uh, intermediate distance. 
and everyone who has them loves them. My wife loves them as well. So go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. You don't have to leave your home. You could do it all nowadays at home and then order your BIG biometrical intelligence glasses from Better Spectacles with um, at betterspectacles.com slash conservative. You get 61% off their progressive eyewear plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. Again, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So why is it that they're able to hoodwink us? Why is it that that um, even guys like DeWine, even in this environment, are able to win re-election? And the answer is very simple. Because for 50 years, the phony conservative movement made the entirety of of politics, law, and our life, and political activism, essentially about one issue, and that's about abortion. And that's why I'm sick of the golden calf. Mind you, I'm the one calling the bluff and saying, I have a column out today, every red state legislature should convene a special session today and ban abortion. Don't get me wrong. I'm the one who's actually saying focus on that instead of whining about the leak. Actually do something about it, but no, notice none of the Republicans are calling for that. Because they're frauds. But that issue, even Mike DeWine, he says I'm pro-life. If Mike DeWine tomorrow or or two weeks ago would have come out and says I'm pro-abortion, he would have gotten crushed. But conservative voters have been groomed to think this is what you should care about and this is out of sight, out of mind because we're too stupid to learn about it and talk about it. I'm sick of being told what to care about and what not to. Get off of it already. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that golden calf being used to destroy us in every other issue. And mind you, they don't even fight that issue properly. I'm sick of it. I will say this again, and I'll say it a hundred times. I'm against abortion. I would ban it tomorrow. I would convene a special session. I wouldn't even wait till the stupid opinion comes out. I'd do it right now. We know it's unconstitutional, and we're going to follow the Constitution, and now we have a leaked draft that knows that that, that states five judges agree to, too. We don't need an official ruling. They don't vote. It's not a voting body. They give an opinion in a specific case. Now that we know what their broad opinion is, let us vote on it. The legislature votes, not the courts. I said this many times before, but folks, keep in mind, the original Supreme Court, did you know, had an even number. It was six. If the whole point is to conduct a vote, and determine and fix with finality the final rendering of an opinion on the most important political and constitutional questions of of a lifetime, they would have made it an odd number. But no, it was about they get together and adjudicate an opinion on a specific case. If they have to decide a constitutional question in that process, they have the right to do that. But is that universally binding on the entire country and self-executing against the other branches of government in the states? No. No, it's not. But all the Republicans believe it is. So the Republicans are all into, ooh, it's terrible, the leak. That's all they care about. Because they're like, you're undermining us. And and, And I'm like, I don't care. I'm not relying on the courts anyway. Let's do it without them. Oh, you're undermining the integrity The integrity of the stupid Supreme Court has been undermined a long time ago. But I'm sick of it. I'm just telling you folks, getting back to my point here with elections, 
if you gave me a candidate, one was like DeSantis, except he's not anti-abortion. Now, DeSantis is, obviously, but I'm saying let's say to one candidate, you know, he's not going to obsessively push it, but he's not going to ban it. But he's good on every other issue, knows what time it is, and is going to fight for us. And then you have another candidate who's Mike DeWine, on paper says he's pro-life, and is literally Klaus Schwab on every other issue. Who are you going to vote for? Again, ideally, he would be anti-abortion too, but I'm just saying, I'm putting that in front of you. The way our system is made with the Republican Party and the conservative movement, if you cross us on the abortion issue, you, you will lose, legitimately. You cross us on every other issue. And again, abortion is optional. This Pfizer is mandatory. Mandatory. It has killed and damaged millions of people. And this is just the beginning of it. They have many more ideas you know, behind this. And 90% of Republicans support it. Okay? But they get reelected. Because we've never built a movement around any other issue but one. I'd say guns is number two, probably probably two issues. Taxes is number three. But they never change. And I'm sorry, I am going to spend the majority of my effort dying for my hill, not someone else's hill. I'll repeat my analogy from yesterday. The abortion, the 50-year abortion fight is the equivalent of fighting for 50 years, per, trying to prevent an army from burning down your home. Finally, you lose. They get into your home. They rape and slaughter everyone in your home. But somehow you get them out of the home or they leave on their own without burning it down. Like, boom, we won that 50-year fight. They didn't burn down our home. Yeah, but they killed everyone in it. The clot shot is mandatory. Pharma fascism, biomedical tyranny, the, the, the hospital killing, the fact that you can't get medical care, the DNRs they're putting on people, that's the bigger issue. And Republicans are in bed with the special interest and support the, the elements that are doing this. The Alabama governor ridiculed anyone for not getting the shots. And now there's a New York Times article. She's running to the right, and she is. And you know what? She'll probably win her gubernatorial primary. Leftists like anything. Every one of them. I don't know what to do. And my analogy is not even good. It's, the equivalent is not you fighting to save your own house, but then losing all the people in it. It's fighting to save someone else's house. I understand the morality behind it. I'm just telling you, it's not our people getting abortions. Could you imagine that guy in my hypothetical analogy, you know, holding a press conference outside his home, and we are so thankful we saved the home. Well, he's not wrong. You did. You were fighting for 50 years, and you won on that. But the guy would be retarded for doing that. Like, what do you? That's how I feel. That's why I can't celebrate this. They strategically moved on. Yeah, the schleppers will fight, and you'll have the Antifa folks in the streets and whatever. But like I told you, you're not going to prevent a single abortion. They're going to have billions of dollars pumped into the blue states. They're all going to get it there. But nonetheless, I'm the one who is saying... Call their bluff, and tomorrow, hold a special session 
and ban abortion right now. It would demonstrate that legislatures are in charge. See, part of my strategy is this. I know Republicans will never fight back against the court, which really they should. But here it's the perfect middle ground. On the one hand, the, the opinion already leaked, so you, so you won. But it's not officially put out. So now is the time to break in society in the fact that state legislatures, we don't have to wait for a court. But you already know what the opinion is. Go and do it. And you know what? That will prevent them from, from uh, changing their mind. Go do it right now. And my hope is that we won't just be stuck on that issue, get dispense of that issue, and then do the same thing on other issues. Set up a challenge to Plyler v. Doe meaning ban all illegal aliens from public schools. Set up a direct challenge. Set up a direct challenge to Arizona v. U.S. by enforcing federal immigration law. This is what we need to do. Name me the candidates running on it. By the way, in Indiana last night, I don't think you understand how bad it is. On paper, Republicans have three-to-one majorities in the Indiana legislature. But in reality, I only knew... I'm not saying there might be one or two or three others, but, I mean, it's literally that bad. There's this guy, Jacob and Nicely, two guys in the House that are conservative. I knew Nicely. I know him. Um, Both of them were defeated last night. They purposely drew them out of their districts, so they lost. We are actually working backwards. I'm just telling you, for every primary challenge that we win from the right, which is exceedingly rare— Not only do we fail to knock out incumbents, not only do we fail to win open seats, but often even our incumbents, the few we have, are defeated. So this notion that there's incremental progress is not true. It is simply not true. I poured my heart out in primaries for 15 years. I'm just telling you, it's not working. Unless you have a new party or you go from primaries to conventions, where only the activists, not the stupid people vote, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say it, and you can't be manipulated with all the GOP money and fake ads where they run on our issues in order to do the opposite, and they get the money to run on our issues from the special interests that know that they're going to do the exact opposite. Mike DeWine, I mean, again, even without the whole splitting the vote business, 48%. If we can't defeat DeWine, oh my gosh, who are we going to defeat? K. Ivy, McMaster, everyone thinks they're conservative stalwarts. They're not. True story. McMaster was such a loser that he wouldn't even support a bill to bar hospitals from denying kidney transplants to those who didn't, who, who, who didn't get the clot shot. So um, Representative Ashley Trantham, who had the bill, she artfully stuck it in an anti-mandate bill. It's a very weak anti-mandate bill. It's really only mainly on the government workers, a little bit on public accommodation. So she stuck in denial of hospital care in public accommodation. He doesn't even know about it. We didn't brag about it until he signed the bill. But that's what we had to do in South Carolina. There is a guy, by the way, named Trucker Bob. Look it up, Trucker Bob running against him. I doubt he has much money. God bless him. He's welcome on the show. I would support him, but I'm just being honest with you. I mean, we're losing every race. 
And then rarely, once in a while, Trump surprisingly made a good endorsement in Idaho. But no one knows about it, and she doesn't have any money. If he would go to the state a couple times, hold massive rallies, and work it, she would win. But because he didn't, she's way behind. He looks at the polls like, oh, I'm staying away from that, so he's not going to go. It's so damn selfish. It's disgusting. I'm telling you, you're going to have to slay the idol of Fox News, slay the idol of Trump, slay the idol of some of these legacy issues like abortion. I don't mean to become pro-abortion. No, I'm the one saying, calling the bluff and saying, if this is the big issue, go and ban it in all the legislatures tomorrow, and no one's following my advice. But that that's all-encompassing. I'm going to fight for my babies, my children, not the left's children. At the end of the day, it's their voters aborting themselves. I don't mean to say I'm going to support it, but dude, I'm not going to let that issue destroy us and everything else. You know I'm right on this. I'm just the only one willing to say it. So who is the governor? How many DeSantis's are we going to have? So let's get to our special guest today. So folks, I promised at the beginning of this year that I would dogged, doggedly focus on primaries. But the problem is, I'll be honest with you, it's awfully hard to find candidates that I could even interview. I said I'd focus on gubernatorial races because obviously Washington's broken. Uh, but honestly, I can't find them. The problem that I have with the Florida governor is that he makes us all so ticked off. Now we know we indeed can have nice things. We understand that even in a state that was kind of marginally purplish, red, you could accomplish a lot and you could win and have your cake and eat it too. He's popular. He's running up the score, medical freedom, on immigration, on values, you name it. All the things that the other governor said you can't win on, he's winning. But then you look across the map, and I'll be honest with you, I can't find many other governors that are running, or gubernatorial candidates that are running on a platform that evinces an image as if they know what time it is. It sounds like it's 1998. Yeah, I'm pro, you know, anti-abortion, pro-gun, and for lower taxes. Okay, well, that's that's great, but uh, that's not exactly the way that the globalists are destroying us anymore. Uh, you could have low tax, low abortions, and right to carry, more right to carry than anywhere, and that's great, but we have more guns and we have less freedom than we've ever had. You have just today um, or yesterday, Governor Asa Hutchinson from Arkansas said he disagrees with Governor DeSantis on going after Disney. Um, he doesn't feel it's it's uh, it's good to punish them, so to speak, even though it was not punitive. Uh, somehow he thinks it's not punitive to punish small business owners. If you remember, he actually vetoed a bill by the legislature that would have zeroed out the fines, the COVID fines against businesses that were open. So it's not only that we're not electing new governors, but actually the same ones that screwed us and actually locked down their states. I mean, I hate to say it, but we'll find out later today in Ohio. I do think DeWine's going to get reelected. So one after another, I can't even find candidates. So I solicited you guys to tell me who, who's, who's running that's worthy. Now, some of you mentioned to me a candidate in Arizona, a state that's very near and dear to my heart. I wrote a chapter on it in my book, Stolen Sovereignty. Carrie Lake, she worked as a reporter on uh, KSAZ-TV in Phoenix for many, many years. 
never was in politics itself, but certainly had a front seat at what was going on in Arizona. And look, folks, at least she's saying the right thing. So I figured we'll get her on and we'll see what you guys think of her. Carrie, thanks so much for joining us today at CR Podcast for the first time. Wow. Thank you for having me on, Daniel. I'm I'm honored and uh, looking forward to having a conversation with you. you. You're right. We need some strong people. The, we need more DeSantis's and fewer DeWines in this world. And that's one of the reasons I'm running. I'm not running because I want a political future. I have no desire to be in politics. But I covered this state for 27 years as an honest journalist, a number one news anchor in the state, and making a, a fortune and top in the ratings. And I walked away from that because I realized that the media had become nothing more than a propaganda arm of of the corrupt government and of the uh, left. And I didn't want to take part in that anymore. And then the people recruited me to run. They said, please run for office. We need somebody with integrity. So here I am and I'm doing great in the polls. And um, more importantly, I'm having a conversation with the people of Arizona and realizing that they too want our freedom back. They want Arizona to be Arizona, not a serf of the federal government. And we're gonna do it. It's pretty easy. Love your country, love your state, love the people and do what's right. So I wanna pick up on that point, state sovereignty. Um, What we've learned from Florida is that a governor could be so much more impactful than any other office. You know, you run for Senate, you're one of 100 people there. So, you know, the population of conservatives would go up from two or three to four. Uh, you're far, far from a majority there. But in terms of a governorship, you know, you have a governor that shares our value. Uh, this was Madison's design that in case the federal government would become tyrannical, you would have separate jurisdictions that could serve as that bulwark to interpose against that tyranny. And I think we're seeing that in Florida. We're not really seeing that in the other 2025 other red states. And I want to start off with medical freedom. I'm looking right now at the Arizona Department of Health. Okay, this is a Republican state. You have the legislature that's Republican, Republican governor, attorney general. And I'm, I'm looking here. And even to this day, okay, this is not, you know, 12, 14 months ago. They are still promoting the shots, promoting boosters as if we've learned nothing. They're promoting N95s. And in fact, a couple months ago, I saw they tweeted out that you need to get the shot even if you had natural immunity. And I'm thinking, what is the difference between the Department of Health in in Arizona and HHS? And as governor, how would you break this cycle where we get Republican governors, but the agencies seem to not never change? Well, we're going to change the agencies. I mean, for starters, we're getting rid of all these people. Anybody in the Department of Health, I say that's going to be one of the first that we reform. We're getting rid of these people who were pushing this tyranny on us, this medical tyranny, who were taking away our medical freedom and uh, I believe unethical and in some ways practicing almost malpractice by pushing shots without telling us the truth about them or at least giving us um, an indication of what the side effects were. And I have a real problem with the way our COVID plan was put forth. We had a Republican governor, and he listened to everything that the head of the health services told him to do. And now we're learning that they were they were acting as tyrants. They were masking our children. They didn't have there really wasn't true science behind all of this. And so for starters, we're going to get those people out when I'm governor. We're going to put some frontline type doctors in there. I don't ever want to see a day where we have a health department. They do not make the laws, by the way, in this state. 
They're bureaucrats. They're medical bureaucrats trying to shut our businesses down, mask up our children, force vaccines on us. We've learned a lot through all of this. And you talked about the power of the governor, which is one of the reasons I'm running for governor. We saw that power used against us. It could have been used for the better. They used it to hurt us. They hurt our businesses. They shut our small businesses down. They let the big boxes remain open. They masked our children. Even when we knew these masks were a bunch of BS, they continued to push it on our children. And these were a bunch of bureaucrats. I'm running against some of them right now. When they had the chance on the uh, Board of Regents, for example, which is one where one of my opponents, um, is, is uh, her background is, she had an opportunity. Once we knew that COVID was not a risk to our young people, she had an opportunity to vote down those mask mandates and the vax mandates and all of the quarantining on our college students in Arizona. Mind you, in, in Arizona, it can get up to 120 degrees. Can you imagine having to wear a mask on a wow. college campus when it's 120? And she sat that vote out like a coward. These are the kind of people we've got to make sure never hold public office again. We just need people who are going to do right by the citizens that they represent. So you get in there right now, and it's obvious that, look, anyone with a sense of compassion um, and a sense of values opposes mandates. But, you know, we've moved beyond that. I mean, after a year and a half of data on these shots, even the most conservative estimate, if nothing more comes out, they are extremely problematic. And it's emblematic, I think, of what we've seen, this corruption in HHS, the FDA. You can no longer trust them. Um, there's this new paradigm with these mRNAs. Moderna has another 15 coming out. Look, I never thought twice about this stuff before last year. I'm sure you probably didn't either. Um, but you got to learn. You got to learn new issues. And I think this is part of the problem with some conservatives, even legacy conservatives, they don't learn new issues. Like I said, guns, abortion, taxes, we get that. But what if you're confronted with something new? So you're governor now. You have a Department of Health that's flush with a lot of cash, like all of them are. What would you do to investigate, serve as a backstop to what the FDA is not doing, perhaps at a state level, to not just not mandate, but maybe give people a better informed consent, better sense of, hey, in Arizona, we feel this is a problem or not a problem. This works for COVID or other ailments. You know, how do we actually turn the departments as a force for good? Well, I think it's re, uh, instilling some some trust once again because people don't, like you said, they don't trust the FDA, they don't trust Fauci, they don't trust uh, National Institutes for Health, they don't trust. We've lost trust in all of that because about a generation or two ago, maybe 40 years ago, they started tying um, basically all research. They stopped doing science and independent research and it started to be forced into we're trying to push an agenda and we want the science to match that agenda. I'm not suggesting that Arizona, and I think your question is maybe thinking that Arizona can can change minds when it comes to what we're seeing nationally, but we've got to start having some honest research being done. And I'm hoping that we can reform our federal government and all of those different um, agencies, but the problem is the agencies got too powerful. I just want less control by these bureaucrats in our lives. I don't think anybody wants the health department telling them how to live. I mean, they've given us so much bad health information over the years from SPF, you know, slathering your skin with all this stuff made with chemicals and going and sitting on the sun to uh, remember when they said, don't eat eggs, eggs are yep. bad for you. I mean, nobody believes anything. cholesterol deniers. 
That was a yeah, term. nobody believes anything they're telling us anymore. And so we need to get some people in there who are not part of that system, who were not pushing that kind of um, bogus uh, science. I use that with air quotes um, during the covid pandemic. We need the people who were being actually forced out because they were trying to speak the truth to come into these departments and speak some real honest truth, some real science. I talked to a doctor recently, he was at one of my events, he said, Carrie, he was a renowned doctor. He said, I came up through a great, the greatest medical schools, I came up through the Mayo program, and now I doubt everything I learned. Here we have a medical doctor, he doubts everything he learned. So we have some major work to do when it comes to uh, who we're gonna believe when it, when it comes to science and medicine and an environment, because we have been lied to so much by our federal government. I'm not gonna sit here and say though that I can solve every problem in that, but what I can sure. do is flush out the people who were spreading a bunch of nonsense and who should have at least been open to looking at some of this other research that would have told them, hey, look, we don't have to push this stuff on our young people. We don't have to push masks. We don't have to push vaccines. I want those people out. And I don't want them any, anywhere near our government. Those vaccines, by the way. Is there particular bill or order that you feel you could issue that would serve as a vaccine to prevent this from ever happening again? Well, I want to get our, our freedoms back. And, and one of the things that um, I think we could do, uh, you, you hear, especially when it's Republicans, oh, how dare a Republican candidate or a Republican governor try to impose any restrictions on a private business? Mm. Well, I flip that around a little bit. Obviously, I don't want the government telling me how to run my business. My husband has a business. There's a lot of businesses out there. The government can't even run the government. We sure as hell don't want them telling us how to run our business. But let's face it. A business, a private business, a public business should not be allowed to get involved and tell somebody, an employee, how they should um, handle their own health care, how they should handle their own personal health decisions. It's not asking too much to tell a, a business to butt out of their employees' private health decisions. I can't imagine a, a company insisting someone get a, va a vasectomy. Why should they be able to insist you get a vaccine, especially one that you're not comfortable with? So we need to come up, work with our legislature, um, and I would be willing to use the power of, uh, as a governor to stop that stuff until we can get some laws on the books that prevent private companies from taking those kind of um, strong-armed approaches to our health. And if it required us having a bill where uh, Arizonans could have a million different exemptions to that kind of, I mean, we can get creative. Let's make it so it's beyond a religious exemption. It could be, you just are afraid of needles. It could be, I mean, whatever we have to do to get this freedom back, I'm willing to pursue because I don't ever want an, an employee to have to lose their job because their employer is trying to demand a vaccine that the employee has done more research into and understands the risks than the corporation or the employer. In other words, you support using power to combat power. Um, you know, we're coming in the eighth inning of the ball game down 20 runs. You have years worth of federal, dare I say, dare I say, grooming of the population to support certain things. So if the federal government comes in and mandates certain things, and then we're just like, okay, we'll be neutral, 
that's not equal an opposing force. I mean, that's that's part of it too. The private businesses wouldn't have been onto this without the billions of dollars worth of federal manipulations pushing right. this junk science, pushing Pfizer, pushing sick. all of this stuff. It's so sick. you got to e even up the score. And I think that's the difference between someone who knows what time it is versus a, a conservative that you could pluck out of the 1980s, 1990s and not change the time frame. I, I certainly agree with that point. Um, to move on to the next big issue, so again, in my book, I wrote a whole chapter on Arizona and sovereignty. Um, your state's been invaded for decades. The the devastation on the hospitals, the education system, um, I mean, just the percentage of illegal aliens in the public school, I've, I've been watching this for years, is, is astounding. The drug trafficking in a lot of the corridors in, um, in the Yuma sector has been going on. I mean, this was even before we had this this border crisis this is when it was a fraction of what it was today um now it's unconscionable i fear that the solutions that people like myself have pushed the last 20 years are not even significant enough anymore to to match what we're up against i'm watching arizona now and i don't even see what i feel is the lackluster level of Texas's response, which is that they at least marshaled in the National Guard and DPS to try to work a border operation. I speak to sheriffs at the border in Arizona. It's kind of the sheriffs, locals, maybe some state grant programs. I'm not seeing the state so involved in it. What would you do differently? I, I have the strongest border policy um, that our country's ever seen. And we need to implement this right now. I've given it to our current governor. He's taken little pieces of it, but this is not a, um, a half measure plan. It's a full measure plan. We have to go there and we have to take on the federal government. On day one, when I'm elected, when I take my hand off the Bible after uh, giving the oath of office, um, we are going to issue a declaration of invasion. We're going to get our Arizona National Guard on the border. We're going to arm them and we're going to stop allowing people to walk into our country. Right now, I was just down there last week. I've been down there too many times to count all over the border, uh, our entire border. I've been all over it. And they just walk right in. It was the worst I've ever seen it last week when I was there. And I know it's going to get worse when they pull Title 42. We're going to see an invasion like this country has never seen before on our homeland. It's already there. It's bad. When I was there, dozens of people came across and they've got smiles on their face because they know that Joe Biden wants to issue mass asylum to all of them. We've got asylum fraudsters coming through. And that's why we got to stop what we're seeing at the border. We got to we got to fill the holes in the bucket and then we can deal with the repercussions of this last year and a half, two years of Joe Biden trying to destroy our country. The one thing I learned when I was down there, I looked around and it was it was so uh, disheartening. I realized that our federal government, Joe Biden, his administration, is part and parcel. They are partners with the cartels in this. They could easily stop this tomorrow, today, if they wanted to. But they're, they are part of the largest human smuggling, drug trafficking, child trafficking, criminal cartel uh, movement that this country's ever seen. And it's a humanitarian crisis that they could control. We've got people dying crossing the border. We have our law enforcement dying trying to protect our border. And we've got drugs coming and pouring in fentanyl that's poisoning people. I didn't say overdose. I said poisoning. Yep. I talked to a mom and a dad whose 22-year-old daughter died after taking a half a Xanax pill. 
Now, that'll go down in the stats as a drug overdose, but I don't think anybody would expect to take a half a Xanax and die. We're being poisoned by the CCP. Joe Biden is part and parcel. He's part of this plan, and he needs to, I I believe he needs to be taken out of the office. He's an illegitimate president. He should resign immediately, and we need to have our, um, our fraudulent elections overturned. That so, was should have never been certified. I want to and get so to my, the elections. Look, back really to, quick, yep. real quick on my border plan yes, uh, border because plan. I didn't mention it all. We're going to work in a, an interstate compact with other like-minded states. Ask them to send their national guard. We're going to finish President Trump's wall on federal land and state land using the materials that we, the people, paid for. I'll work with the legislature to redefine what abandoned federal property is. We're going to take that back and finish the wall shouldn't take more than two or three months to do so. And we are going to start blowing up these drug tunnels. They fill them in with a little bit of cement right now, and you know how easy it is to jackhammer cement out and run that tunnel again. We're gonna do what they do in Israel with the Hamas terror tunnels, we're gonna blow them up. And the thousands of drone flights that are going back and forth over our border, dropping drugs, doing surveillance so they know where our border patrol and law enforcement are, we allow that to happen. How stupid is that? We're going to start shooting those drones down and take back operational control of our border. We don't have to ask the federal government's permission. It's right there in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. When our government fails to protect us from an invasion, we, the states, can protect our own citizens, and we're going to do that. And anybody who's got a problem with it, they're just going to have to live with it because we're going to do it, and we're not going to apologize, and we're not going to beg and grovel for permission. And we will, I'm sure, be taken to court, but let's go there. Let's take it right up to the Supreme Court, and we'll find out if our Constitution still stands. So that's my next question. I'm going to put you in a tough position, but i got to do it. I mean, this is part of, part, of, part of my chapter on Arizona and stolen sovereignty is about the courts, and the courts stole our sovereignty. Um, you know this growing up in Arizona. There's perhaps no state that has been assaulted more by the federal courts than the state of Arizona. I mean, everything that they have tried to do um, to secure their the interior against illegal aliens, benefits, um, citizen, you know, verif- verification of citizen voting. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, so many things that the district judges in Arizona and the Ninth Circuit have have blown up. Um, so you're you're governor there. You're you're absolutely correct. Uh, this is an invasion. When we have the invasion, when when the invasion clause was written, they were thinking of kind of small bands of Indians, not Sinaloa, which which has tens of billions of dollars of military style uh, equipment beyond belief, um, more than more than some nation states. So you're certainly dealing with that, and you could you know deal with that. You start shooting down the drones, you start repatriating the illegals. They take you to court. The Ninth Circuit's going to screw with everything Arizona does. Do you believe that? the federal courts have the final say on the constitutionality of issues or are the three federal branches and the respective state branches all equal in the sense that your your actions have to comport with the constitution if you know what you're doing is constitutional and what they are asking to do is unconstitutional so you have an obligation because you know as governor you swear an oath of office is that yeah right, I, right? I think i so get what, what you, you're what do you do with I, that willing, that 800 pound gorilla in the room because arizona has been experiencing this issue for as long as i've lived 
Yeah, we've, we've never been more abused than we are right now. We're being abused by our federal government right now. Uh, two things. You're right. The Constitution, I believe, and we're looking into this, that we can actually uh, write some immigration laws for our state. You could get an argument either way. I'm working with some experts in that field because um, the laws that are on the books are uh, are hurting us, are hurting our country. Yep. So I, I, I believe we have the power of the Constitution behind us and states' rights and sovereignty. But we also have something else going on right now. We have an illegitimate president and an illegitimate uh, administration. And so I, I don't plan on taking a lot of cues and orders from an illegitimate president who's trying to destroy this country. He's hell-bent on destroying America. And we're not gonna take orders from an illegitimate president in Arizona. We're not letting him take Arizona down with us. We're gonna protect our border. I'm ready for the fight. Is, is he gonna send somebody down to arrest a sitting governor? Um, I, I think we gotta get real strong with that right now. And we're looking at every way we can to uh, affect change in Arizona, whether it be through our legislature, whether it be through fighting uh, uh, constitutionally, what states' rights have. But you're right, the federal government, they have a, a, a strong a stranglehold sometimes on Arizona, and the people of Arizona are fed up. I think they're ready for this fight to go against the federal government. And now is the perfect time because, you know what, we do have an illegitimate administration. So speaking of the illegitimate administration, obviously Arizona was at the center of the election fraud scandal. Do you believe there was one predominant cause of the fraud in Arizona, or was it more death by a thousand cuts of several different things they did together? And what are your top two or three ideas to rectify that in future elections if you were elected governor? That's a great way to put it, Daniel. Death by a thousand cuts. It's disgusting what they did. They found every loophole, every way they could cheat. They used COVID to cheat. You know, they, they shut down our churches and schools. Hmm, I wonder why. Well, that's because precinct voting happened at churches and schools. And then they turned it into these massive voting centers where it was very easy to cheat. We had 740,000 Arizona ballots that cannot be authenticated. There's no chain of custody. They shouldn't have even been counted. We have 86,000 unidentified voters in Maricopa County. There's no person to match to the vote. We have more than 34,000 ballots that were counted two times or three times, even four times. We have examples, and this is a small example, Cells, Arizona. They have roughly 1,300 people who are voting, voting age. Now, I didn't say registered voters, but they're voting age, 18 or older. So how did 13,000, or 1,300, pardon me, end up into 2,700 votes? More people voting than there are people who are even voting age to vote. The corruption is so widespread, and unfortunately the media has done a number, you always hear them say, there's no evidence. Either they're just too stupid to read through the evidence, because they'd be shocked if they read through it, or they're part of a propaganda push, which is what I think it really is. The evidence is overwhelming. You can't see um, here, but I've got, oh, somewhere right in front of me, I have the forensic audit, which by the way, is admissible in a court of law. And I do believe there will come a day when that's being used in a court of law. When I'm governor, I'm the only candidate in Arizona. You see, because I'm not doing this because I wanna be a politician. I wanna get Arizona set on the right track. Bring back our state's rights, bring back honest elections. These other people are buddies who are running. 
with the board of supervisors who at every turn tried to stop that forensic audit. The other people I'm running with are buddies with them. I'm not buddies with any of these people. And we're going to get to the bottom of who ordered this election to be corrupted, perverted, and stolen. And yes, we're going to go after the people who stuffed the uh, voting boxes, for sure. But I want to find out who ordered that. And we're going to take it right to the top. And because I'm not part of this political elite and the political class, I have no friends who are, I have to worry about offending. And you know what, to be honest, even if I, I did have friends who were part of this, I would certainly want them to uh, face justice. And that's what we, the people of Arizona demand. Whoever stole this election, corrupted this election is gonna see justice. And I'm the only can, I mean, this is why I have President Trump's endorsement, such a strong endorsement. He endorsed me twice. He knows, I think I'm the only candidate ever that President Trump has endorsed twice in one election cycle. Uh, we're working on some projects together and his team said, we were with him. He said, I love her so much. I want to put out another endorsement for her, which I thought was hilarious. But the other thing I'm doing as a citizen, and you can see this, uh, we're, we're on just um, audio, but I'm showing this to you because I want you to see it. Sure. Um, this is an injunction I filed about a week ago, along with Mark Fincham, who's running for secretary of state. And as a citizen and as a uh, as a candidate running for office, it's an injunction against the Dominion and similar type voting machines, vote counting machines. We don't want our votes in Arizona counted by machines that can be hacked, that have components made by our enemies, and that we don't even know how they work. They won't even give us the passwords. It's outrageous that we've handed over something so sacred as the counting of our vote to these private companies who wouldn't even know how they operate. It's ridiculous, so we're fighting that. You know, Carrie, I, I wanna spend a couple more minutes, I know we're running over time here, because you just piqued my interest with something. There is a trend, and there has been for a while, in American government, where in some ways it's worse than the socialism of, of Europe. I, I've called it for many years on this program, venture socialism. And I just thought of this. This is another great example, kind of like Pfizer and Moderna, where the government uses a so-called private entity to then control something vital to our health, our economy, our lives. And in many respects, that's the worst tyranny of all because there's nothing to shoot at. I can't fire Pfizer. I can't fire the guy in charge of Dominion, whereas at least if it's straight up the government, you know, you have a clean shot at, at, at the guy at least through an election indirectly. And, and, and that's the trend here where everything that's vital into this country has been controlled by an oligarch. And I want to move that to something else interesting that I have a feeling you have something to say about. Um, Arizona is, is, a, is a big agricultural state, not so much in, 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 in crop farming, but ranching, certainly a lot of ranching. And one of the problems we have in this country, a lot of people are emailing me, the, the, the big next concern is, well, you need medicine. And that's a big problem now because the things that you need to get, they don't allow you to get. And the things that aren't good for you, they push on you. But then the other thing is food, the food supply. And increasingly, it's controlled by China. Increasingly, people like Bill Gates own the farmland. Uh, we don't know what stuff is being put into that. You know what else they own? They own the meatpacking plants. Yes. <sighs> yes. I mean, 60% of the meat, I think, comes from— We sold everything out. We sold our we sold our economy out to China. Now we're selling our our food. We've sold our medicine making out to China, and it, this is we what need could to get you do these... as governor to try to retain a little bit of state sovereignty and sovereignty over 
food within within a state, or is it even possible in today's economy? Well, we I need to have a we need to have a red wave in November, and I think we're going to get it. We need America First candidates to win the legislature. Right now, we have such a we have a one vote. Um, majority and you get one or two rhinos in there and it's just impossible. Mm. So we need a red wave and a governor like me. I don't think that China should or any China company uh, or individual should be able to own our farmland. This is, you know, there there is no such thing as a free company over there. Everything everyone's beholden and connected to the CCP. And we need to bring that farmland. That, that's critical. That's a, a critical resource back to be owned by Americans and Arizonans. And um, so that's critical. You talked a little bit about handing over these important things to companies, you know, with with the Dominion and the other similar machines. This is a black box where we put our vote in, we don't know how, what, how it works, and we expect them to give us an honest outcome when we already know these machines are easy to hack. And we, we've got to protect our agriculture. Right now, our meat packing plants are owned by um, entities outside the United States. I have a plan for reshoring American companies. I think Arizona is poised to take them on. We would love to bring manufacturing back. I would love to see us bring manufacturing of, of those critical resources. When we when COVID struck, we saw that we didn't have our medicines made here. We didn't have our PPE made here. Let's bring them back. Arizona's poised in a, in a position with our our neighbors in Mexico. If, if something's too expensive to be manufactured here, we can work with our Mexican counterparts and uh, kind of piggyback some of the production there. I think we're in a great position to do that. We have to bring back manufacturing. And I want to see actually uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, other effective drugs that have been around for decades that we know are safe, available, either over the counter or just behind the counter without a prescription, yep. where you can just talk to the pharmacist and get your hands on them. We shouldn't have to feel like criminals trying to get our hands on ivermectin. I've taken it. It works. I was astounded at how amazingly well that worked and how quickly it worked. The fact that it's been kept from us uh, might even be criminal. It should be criminal that we and had I have these. A feeling and it, it's not the first malady that we've experienced this, and I, I have a feeling there's a lot more to this. So, I mean, medical freedom is a big part of it. Um, man, there's a lot to get go through. One more issue here is obviously crime. Um, you look at just this week, uh, there was a port out. Phoenix cops have increasingly been attacked on the street. I think a 30% increase in incidents um, this year. I've noticed that the prison population in Arizona is down 20% since right before the pandemic. Uh, that That's a pretty steep decline in two years. Um, so a lot of the criminals are out on the streets. Um, I've been in politics for about 15 years. In the last 10 years, there has been a bipartisan trend that we need to basically open up the jail doors and de-incarcerate. I think the last two years or so, we've seen what happens. What do you plan to do to stem the tide of the crime, particularly in the big metro areas like Phoenix? They let a lot of people out who, who shouldn't have been let out because of COVID. Um, they use COVID for uh, a million excuses <laughs> that they use COVID for to make us less safe. I want to start with when someone's been reformed, when someone has served their debt to society, I believe in second chances wholeheartedly. I support programs that are out there to um, reduce recidivism, 
As a matter of fact, there's one here called New Freedom where they've had a 97% success rate in stopping that cycle of people who end up behind bars for people who really truly want to uh, reform their life and lead the life that God planned for them. So I'm all about second chances, but I'm not about letting people out who are dangerous, who shouldn't be let out of prison. And we saw that, you're right, uh, over COVID. But we also have the problem of these liberal cities, councils, and mayors, Mm. and leftists. I'm not even going to say liberal. They're just full-on leftists in Tucson, in Phoenix, in Flagstaff. Those are our big cities here. And they're all, they're pushing this. They've got prosecutors who, when, it, when the police department puts together a great sound case, provides the evidence, they drop the charges against people who really need to be prosecuted and locked up. So it's, it's critically important that we don't just think at the top of the ticket when we go out to vote. Our city council, our mayors are so important. And yep. a lot of times they run as a nonpartisan, so you don't know what... Yep side of the aisle they are on. We've got to do more digging and research into them because they're the ones who have made life miserable and dangerous for our police force. Our city council in Phoenix has been very anti-police in many ways. They've been, you know, earlier talking defund the police. Now they're realizing how unpopular that stance is and they're kind of backpedaling. But we need to fully fund our police. I believe our law enforcement needs a raise across the board. If we're going to attract good men and women to this dangerous line of work, we need to make sure that we can keep them in that line of work. We'll spend a couple hundred thousand training an, uh, a deputy in, for DPS. We pay them less than the going rate than, than other departments, and we lose them immediately to another police department. And then we have to start all over, spend two or three hundred thousand training another deputy, and then we—it's—it doesn't make sense financially to continue along those lines. I want to start a campaign where we are talking about what a great profession this is, how important this profession is, how heroic this job is, and bring more people in. I look to a day where our young sons and and even our daughters will say, "I want to grow up and be a police officer," because we need—we can't have a great state. Daniel, if we don't have a safe state. And we're going to make sure we fund our police because we are right now, most every police department in the state, the majority of them are understaffed, not by a little bit, but by a lot. And that's why when you call 911, it's taking longer to get someone to show up. At the end of the day, when my job is done, I want for Arizonans to say, our streets are safer thanks to these policies. We can send our kids out, they can play in the front yard, they can play until the lights, you know, the sun sets, and we're, we're fine with them outside. We know that we're safe when we walk across a parking lot at night. We know that the dangerous criminals are being locked up, and those who are not and those who are reformed are rebuilding their lives and becoming citizens who are contributing to our society. Well, I'd say just to the west of you, I'm sure there are a lot of candidates in law enforcement who might be uh, itching to migrate. So, so I think the time is oh, ripe. Oh wow! For, for you such know a what, program. in a weird way, in a weird way, we're lucky we live next to California. Anybody here in Arizona? Sometimes we go to California in the summer to cool off, and we've seen what a disastrous state that has turned into. That is basically the the left's utopia. They want to take what they've done to California and do it to Cal- Arizona. We say, hell no, we're not going to let them turn a state into a hellscape like they have California. Terrible, decades of terrible leftist policy has turned California into a a zombie apocalypse, practically. And that's why this race, 
my race, our race for governor is the most important race in the entire country. Every state's a border state. Every state wants this border secure. And we got to get a tough governor here. Right now we have a Republican. He's not tough enough. And I'm running against a rhino, a McCain rhino, who's putting out lots of splashy ads, acting like she's going to be tough on the border. And it's really the establishment rhino's attempt to try to keep a, a hold on Arizona. But we're not going to let them buy this election. We're going to get a tough uh, a border, someone who's tough on the border, someone who's tough on crime, someone who has ideas that will work for all Arizonans in the governor's office and turn this state around. And where could pe- people find out more about your campaign? They can find it at carrylake.com, K-A-R-I-L-A-K-E.com. As I said, I'm endorsed by President Trump and the America First movement. I believe America First policy is the only way out of the mess we're in. That's why General Michael Flynn, Rick Grinnell, Cash Patel, Larry Elder, uh, Mike Lindell, Wendy Rogers. Um, so and I many, take it you're not going to join the other governors in sending part of your uh, National Guard resources to Ukraine? <laughs> No, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I never want to see anybody suffer anywhere. Uh, but sure. I, I'm willing to bet if you ask the men and women in our military who are over there, whether they be in Poland and, and you know, ready, poised to go if, if Joe Biden were to order it, I bet all of them would rather be here on our border helping us secure our yep. homeland. I, and, and the fact that I believe it's now $33 billion we're sending to Ukraine they can't send us any money to finish our wall. It's you know what we, what we could do with even a few billion. We could secure the border. We could start working on our water issues here in Arizona. We could do so much, but it's outrageous. It's un-American what they're doing, and we're not going to let them uh, do that to Arizona anymore. Well, there you have it, folks. That is Carrie Lake, CarrieLake.com. Thanks so much for joining us, and definitely keep us updated as the campaign progresses. I will. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. God bless. So anyway, folks, that was Carrie Lake uh, running for governor in Arizona. Let me know what you think. Be honest with me. Um, Look, no one's going to sound like me. At a minimum, we have our foot in the door. She's willing to listen to our ideas. She's willing to at least put forth a couple of new, bolder ideas that kind of speak to the time. And yeah, I mean, she actually is ahead. And this is one of the few cases where... um, yeah, I think she was, again, strong even before Trump's endorsement, but where Trump made a difference, Trump could remake the party. I said this before, but, you know, it rarely aligns in our favor. This might be the only case. Um, name me any other gubernatorial race where we have the opportunity to shift the seat to the right, much less get another DeSantis in. And I, I, did, I can't think of another opportunity. There's other guys I'm going to try with. I, I just don't, you know, I'm being honest with you. It's It's very tough. Um, I believe very strongly in Janice McGeehan, and there's you know an opportunity to win all the statewide races there. Idaho, there's so much great opportunity there. It's tough. I mean, she's behind in the polls. Trump is refusing to come out and do a rally. So even though he did officially endorse, but no one knows about it. Um, it's still early in the season, in the primary season. People are not focused on primary elections. All they know is they hate the Democrats, and the more radical the Democrats get, the more people are focused on them, our voters, that is, and the more the Republicans get to um, get away with their betrayals because, you know, it's always, well, you got to defeat the Democrats, and they don't even pay attention to the primaries. Um, but I will tell you, for one, I am not someone who's embarrassed to support someone who's, 
you know, unlikely to win. It's not a matter. It's ma- it's not a matter of a scorecard. It's a matter of doing the right thing. You know, you look at the opportunity that's out there. Last night in Ohio, Republicans swamped the Democrats in turnout. A million, basically, roughly a million to five hundred thousand, roughly two to one. What used to be, you know, an even state. Uh, you know, Obama won Ohio. Uh, it's um, it's become a solid red state. Yet we have the most liberal governor you could ever imagine. He gets reelected. So you look at the turnout. People want the Democrats gone. But what's put on their plate are golden calves and distractions. This is what I mean when I say the conservative movement and Fox News does for the left what they can never do for themselves. If they didn't exist, people would rebel. But instead, they jujitsu it into the other arm of the globalist. They have two arms strategically there. So when people rebel against one, well, they have nowhere to go but the other. This is why in the long term, I'm going I'm to fight for whatever primary I can. But it's not going to work unless we have a new strategy of having new sorts of candidates that have more of a bipartisan image but speak to the issues of our time, like a medical freedom movement running as independents in a general election. That is really the only way I think we could shake things up at this point. But you have too many people that are beholden, even some people that you know more or less agree with us. Oh, no, you can't split the Republican Party. Republican Party. What is it going to take? Let me ask you this question. If having gone through the last two years... We don't move the needle one inch, and we're not so far in typically what we win and lose in primaries. Trust me. It has not changed one iota. What is it going to take for them to come in and rape everyone in everyone's home, and then we'll, you know, and then still renominate the Republicans who are on board with that? I don't know what it's going to take. But the problem is the worse it gets the more they focus only on the Democrats. It's a vicious cycle. It's, it's a perfect system. I'm here to break that system. So sometimes I'm going to talk about issues in a way that others aren't going to talk about it from a strategic standpoint. This is what I'm doing with the whole abortion issue. I'm telling you, just like with taxes. I'm for low taxes. I'm against abortion. I agree with that. But when you focus on, when you make one or two issues a litmus test almost to a fault, it has a way of really working against us. So just think about that. One quick side note um, before I go here. It's already very late. It's a shame we have so much news on the shots. Um, Okay, so I want to just get this out here so there's no speculation. We started at Conservative Review, and that's the name of our show. We merged with The Blaze. So my articles are at The Blaze. We still have the Conservative Review website. It's mainly just the scorecard and kind of just some aggregated headlines. Um, Yesterday, I have one of my latest columns on COVID and the shots is there. For the future, most of my articles will be at The Blaze, but once in a while, um, especially things like on COVID data, vaccine injury data, it's going to be put there. And the reason is this, and it's under my guidance. No one's censoring me. Um, the Blaze has gotten demonetized because of me, and and they back me wholeheartedly and support me because of all the fact checkers. So, you know, to me, rather than getting censored and then, you know, but then you, you don't want to get it out nowhere, we're, we're going to plant it at a different URL, the CR Conservative Review URL, so that way you can see it, it gets out there, but, you know, it won't get censored at least, you know, until they figure it out. 
So some of my content will be there. Uh, so in addition to the blaze, always check conservativereview.com. Just Google my name with conservative review and you know my name will come up and you'll see it. So again, don't get demoralized with that. No one's censoring me. It's strategically done with my blessing. But anyway, one way you could help get the word out is to give us a five-star rating on iTunes with a comment. Send this show to every one of your friends and relatives. Agree or disagree, I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. It's my own talking points, own unique thoughts, and I'm actually trying to break the logjam of the same failed thoughts, strategies, commentary, you name it, that has gotten us to where we are today. So that's it for today. We'll be back with some special guests at the end of the week. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.